Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. What's up, everyone? So this is the third and final installment of how white teachers have saved my life, right? And so, um, again, just to put it out in front, because I don't know which episode people are going to listen to first, is that this is really here to encourage white teachers, right? To, to really understand that there's times when you really only have to do a little bit in order to make a big difference in uh, somebody's life from these historically marginalized spaces and whatnot. Sometimes it's really big. Sometimes you can be, you can have this, you know, have to do this, this really big thing. But a lot of times, the vast majority of the times, it's actually really small things that you have to do in order to be encouraging uh, to people in historically marginalized groups and people of color specifically um, as I'm talking about this. And so, um, so this is my third uh, installment, and this is going to focus on college teachers. So this is going to include my community college teachers, along with my teachers at UCSD. Um, unfortunately, I really don't have any white teachers that were very influential to me um, when I was at USC, and so be that as it may. Um but to, to get a sense of who I was when I showed up at Maricosta, though, this was like 1991 that I got there. This was, um, right, I experienced a lot of racism, both in the church and in the Navy. Um, this was a, a, a period where I just got finished reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and understood that to whatever degree I was a mascot. Uh, to a lot of white people um, during high school. And that is what it is. I mean, I, I still love my alma mater and I still love the white folks who put me through a lot of that stuff. But um, those are some really trying times. And this is also 1991. This is, a, this is also like the golden era of hip hop and how we had people like KRS-One, and Public Enemy, Queen Latifah, MC Light. We had people who were like very conscious artists and they were on the radio, right? They were on the radio. They were conscious and they were on the radio um, and whatnot. And so, right, this is what I'm wrapped around. And, and so in 1991, uh, 92, that's, this is when uh, the Rodney King incident happened uh, along with uh, the Rodney King Rebellion, or riot, depending on whatever it is that you want to say, um, in that space. And this is, um, you know, me. And as a matter of fact, the, the Rodney King, uh, I call it rebellion. You can call it whatever you want, but I call it rebellion. Um, is that after that verdict, this was a very important part of my life because I decided to become politically active in that moment. I decided to become politically active in that moment, meaning that I was at Maricosta and I was completely content with just taking my 12 units and going to work. I was working at Popeye's Fried Chicken and Biscuits at the time and going to work and then, you know, and going home and studying and doing whatever. I was completely content with that lifestyle. And then the Rodney King Rebellion happened. 
the verdict happened and then the the rebellion that happened soon afterwards and i decided i cannot stand this this is it's too much i i got i got to get involved and you know i got to get involved and this is where like one of the most significant uh white folks in my life just really popped up his name is uh steve johnson um i i've lost track of him since uh but he was my advisor when I became student body president, first I be I, when I became politically active, I became um, African American Student Union president first. That's what we called it at the time. Now people would just call it BSU. But then after that, that's when I ran uh, for academic, not academic senate, <laughs> um, uh, associated student body president and student trustee, and I won that, and I was that for two years, right? And so. The person that I interacted with, though, um, his name is Steve Johnson. He was the advisor of the space, a white guy. I didn't know until later on that he was also um, homosexual. And so that may have uh, given them some insight in regards to, you know, historically marginalized groups um, and whatnot and how to maybe, you know, kind of uh, deal with me in the space. But I remember him just dealing with me, the angry black male, right? I mean, not dealing with me in a negative way, but just like really trying to help me. Like he created enough enough space for me to try to figure so that I can figure out my own stuff, right? And so, and that really meant a lot to me. He didn't judge me for it. There were times when I surely got on his nerves. um, And there's times when he surely got on my nerves, but because we were able to talk it out and say whatever we needed to say uh, in the space. And again, he treated me with respect and like an adult. And so I never felt like he was talking down to me, even though that there's even though there's a lot of folks that would say otherwise as as he interacted with with them. But I never had a problem with him. I love this guy. And like I said, just for him to be able to give me the space to work through my own anger and then realizing later on that that's not who I really was anyway. Um, it was just a huge benefit for me, right? Because, you know, after the, the military and the church and everything, I was just, like I said, I was just a heaping ball of anger. But something that I think that he figured out and that I clearly feared uh, and I figured out later is that when you're that angry, and let me say this to everyone, you know, right now who's listening. It's like when you're that angry, when you see that kid, especially when they're a boy, okay, and you see that kid the, that's so angry all the time and the things that they do are like driven by anger. Understand this is that anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion, meaning that anger comes second. Something else comes first. And for me, there was a lot of pain that I was using my anger to try and hide. There was a lot of pain that I was experiencing. Um, Betrayal that I experienced in the church um, and in the military. And that, that betrayal turned to anger. That pain turned into anger. And I'm so glad that he was patient enough with me to help me and to help create a space for me to develop into the person that I became, right? And so another big thing that happened to me at Maricosta, Maricosta is my home. Like, this is where my heart is at. 
um, because there's a lot of things that really helped me turn the pages pages in my life uh, regarding my the educational trauma that I experienced and putting me on the trajectory that I was to you know to, to become a teacher right to become a, a professor quite honestly um, at the community college level. And so the person I got to give props to is the person that was the vice president of instruction at the time. Her name is Julie Hadoff. Um, she did something because I was student body president and student trustee and everything. And she got to know me a little bit. And then she found out what my major was when I was here at Maricosta. I was a math major. And so she found out what my major was. And she always had this saying of, you know, Maricosta, we need to grow our own faculty members. And um, especially when it came to faculty members of color, because they were struggling with that over 20 years ago. They still struggle with that a little bit today. Um, and so she was like, we need to grow our own. And so she saw me and she literally created a position for me, um, a TA position for me, um, in order for me to, to work with other math instructors so that they can help me develop my skills as a, as a teacher and to help me explore whether teaching was something that I wanted to do at the community college level, um, just in the first place. Right. And so, um, because she created this opportunity, now this is, that's a big one, right? Folks It's like, you know, I, I talk about how there's a lot of small things that white folks can do. This is a big one, right? She literally created a position for me and got funds for this and created funds for this in order for me to be able to do this. And so this is, this is, this is bigger than just saying I'm an ally, right? I mean, this is now into a, the accomplice level, right? I would I would call that the accomplice level, and so this allowed me creating this TA ship allowed me to work with um, Carol Congleton. Um, since she's and, and she's since retired and everything and, and whatnot, and I even talked to her about this a little bit. That I was just so thankful um, that she, you know that she allowed me to teach a class one time. Like, that's how much faith that she had. Like, I thanked her for the faith she had in me. And I'll never forget this time where I was TAing for her. I think it was in like a, you know, basic math class or something like that. But I was also taking her differential equations class at the time. And so I was in her office about to get the, you know, the answer key or whatever and all the papers for the basic math class. But then I saw and she wasn't in the room for whatever reason. And I saw on her desk, like right over, like next to her desk, because I was kind of like looking around for some papers and whatnot. And I saw on her desk the exam. Like the, I, I remember just looking at it and I'm, I'm, I recognized that this was the differential equations exam. We were just about to have that exam and I freak out. I'm like, oh snap, I just got finished seeing the exam. Oh my goodness. Well, at least the first page of the exam, right? I saw the first page of it and I freak out. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's like, I, I was so conflicted as to what to do at that moment. But when Carol came into the room, I just... I looked her in the eyes and I was like, I am so sorry. I saw the exam. I said, your, your differential equations exam is right there. I'm so sorry. I, I only saw the first page. I didn't go looking around at it, but I'm sorry. Um, I hope you believe me that I, it's like, I only saw the first page of it though. 
And what she said back to me, I will never forget. She was just like, of course I believe you. Why would you tell me in the first place if you were going to lie? And I'm like, just floored at her impeccable logic in the space. <laughs> and there's no, right? And I mean, for real, just to just think of it. And because I knew, I, I really felt that if I had walked out of that room and not had said anything to her, well, one, I would have had a competitive advantage and I, I couldn't live with that. But the other thing is that if I didn't say anything, then she would always wonder if I had seen the test, right? And so that, you know, that really meant a lot to me that she was just like, well, of course you're telling me the truth. I mean, if you wanted to lie to me, you could have just said nothing. And I wouldn't have even thought, she probably wouldn't have even thought about it, right? And so, you know, and so then, Again, that seems it may seem like a little bit, but that was actually a really big deal for me, for her to just believe me, for her to just believe me in that space. Another one of my math teachers, um, her name is Joan King. I mean, may her soul rest in peace. She passed away um, after I became a professor here. She passed away. And um, I remember, I think it was like Calc 1, maybe Calculus 2, that um, I was taking. Remember, I was a math major at one time. I think I said that already. But um, I had gotten an A in all of my math classes, except for this one, and this was why. I get a D. I got a D minus on one of her exams. I'll tell you the story in just a second. But I got a D minus on her exam, and this is what she wrote on the exam. She asked me. She wrote on it, "What happened?" Question mark. That's it. That's what she wrote. That changed my life. That drastically affected me. So this is the reason why I got the D minus because I was getting A's and B's on her, on all the tests and whatnot. And so, um, but this is what happened. I kid you not. Like a week before I was taking that exam, my car got stolen. Now to add insult to injury to that, right? That's bad enough. But to add insult to injury, that my car was a beat up old thing. It was not even worth stealing. So you know that the people who stole that damn thing really, like, like really, they went to the bottom end of what cars they could steal in order to get mine. And so my car got stolen. And, you know, that's bad enough. But so I was like, you know what? I can't afford to get a new car right now. And so I'm going to buy a bike and I'm going to, you know, you know, ride my bike to school. Here's the thing that I didn't think about at the time was that there's a lot of hills going from my house to Maricosta, <laughs> like straight up. And so um, this happened. I'm not kidding. This happened. So I bought my bike. And as I was riding my bike, this, and this was, it was an important day to, to understand. This was the day that we were going to go, uh, we were going to do our, our preview for the test, right? Our study session for the test. And so that's what the class was. And I depended heavily on that because, look, I said in other, uh, you know, in other episodes that I really didn't try to work all that hard ever. And so the days that we would do these study sessions were really important to me. And so... And that's what I would do in order to study. Right. And so I was trying to get it to the to the study session. I was trying to I was riding my bike to the study session. And I'm not kidding, folks. My bike breaks. 
my bike breaks. And so it doesn't just like fall apart. What happens is that um, the the gear got like the, I don't know what you call that thing, but it got bent in a way to where the chain couldn't shift when I shifted gears. And so it got stuck in a high in a, in the hardest gear to pedal in. Now I just got finished telling you that there's a lot of hills between my house and Maricosta, so I'm like, yo, what am I gonna do right now? Well, before I went to the study session, uh, that morning I actually got a call from um uh you know like a a dump site or something like that, like a like a place where you get your car to where people get their cars towed to. Um, that they said that the police officers, they said that they found my car. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to not pick up my car first. I'm going to pedal my way. I'm going to I'm going to ride my bike to Maricosta first, do this mass session, you know, this mass study session. And then I'm going to go get my car. And so as I'm going to Maricosta. My bike breaks and I have, I'm making the decision. It's like, look, do I go uphill and try to get to Maricosta or do I go downhill and try to get my bike and still excuse me and try to get my car and try to still make it to the study session. So I'm like, well, to me, that was a no-brainer. It's like, look, I need to go try to get this car so I can make it to the study session still. Hopefully it's intact. Well, guess what? My bike or my car was not intact. Those fools, they took the battery out of the car. That was so petty of them. There was nothing literally distilled out of my car except my prescription sunglasses, which I hope they went blind looking through those things. But I don't, I forgive them now. (laughs) <laughs> but back then I was full of pettiness. And so, and so I hope they went blind looking through my prescription sunglasses and then they took the battery. And so I'm like, dang, well, how much does a battery cost and what can I do about this battery? And so I'm like, you know what? Let me, I still didn't give up on the mass study session. Like for real, I need to tell you this, this whole story. I still didn't give up on the mass study session. I'm like, you know what? There's like a auto shop place, right? You know, a, a little bit away. It's flat. And so I can still pedal this bike and get over there. And I bought a battery and there was a very important lesson that I learned that day. The important lesson that I learned um, is that Car batteries come in different sizes. That's what I learned. And look, you got to understand, I was a working poor kid who didn't have a father or anybody even mechanical around. My my mother, she never owned a car. And so I didn't know, I knew nothing about cars. And so I, I finally, then I finally give up. When I bought the wrong battery, I finally give up on trying to make it to the mass, you know, study session. I get the battery squared away. I go to the exam the next day, and then I wind up getting a D minus on the exam. And that's where Joan King says, what happened? And so after I get the test back after class, I tell her all that story. And you want to know what she did? All she did was just go like, wow, Bruce, that is a crazy ass story. And... I'm glad you told me. I appreciate knowing what happened. And so this is what's going to happen from here. It's like, you know, well, everyone gets to drop their lowest grade. And so clearly this will be the one that you drop. And, you know, everything will be fine from here. That's it. That's all she did. She didn't make any special accommodation. She didn't try to to get me to retake the test. Nothing. All she, she didn't even change any of the rules for me. All she did was just say, Oh man, that was that was a crazy story. Appreciate you telling me. 
well, this will be the test that you drop and, you know, you'll be fine from here. And I'm going to tell you what, this is the reason why I t- this was actually really important to me because I didn't need her to change anything in my life. I just needed someone to listen to my story and to care. That's it. That's all I wanted. And that is what I got. And I thank her to this day. You know, may her soul rest in peace. I thank her to this day that she just listened to my story. And she just asked me why on the paper. I mean, think about it. She could have just wrote that D minus. She could have wrote that 60% and not have said anything. She could have not have been curious at all as to what had happened. And yet she did. It's so small of a thing that she did. And yet it looms so large in my life. Right. And I want people, you know, to understand it's like, you really don't have to do as much as you think you do in order to really have the kind of impact you can have on historically marginalized groups, right? And lastly, I've talked about him in another space, and so I really don't want to go into the story behind George Lipsitz. He was my professor at UCSD. He is the ethnic, like one of the ethnic studies Hall of Fame type of dudes, white guy, and he literally changed my life by um, just telling me one day because, you know, in the, uh, in the other, you know, episode when I'm talking about educational trauma, I, I was traumatized, right, and, and believe and still struggle to this day of, of thinking that I'm a bad writer. And so George Lipsitz, you know, one day after the final... Um, after me getting a 100% in his class, 100% on every single one of his essays and then 100% on the final, and understand that I've never done that before, nor have I done that since, okay? And so this was, that was a very big deal to me. And he changed my life by telling me, he said, Bruce... The challenges that you have writing papers at the undergraduate level are going to be your strengths when you go to graduate school. And I thought he was weird for saying that because I wasn't even thinking about graduate school at the time. I hope you understand that. I mean, literally, I wasn't even thinking about graduate school. But partly because he had said that to me, I started exploring different options and started thinking about my life differently and thinking about my educational trajectory differently, which led me to find the McNair program, which focused on first-generation, low-income, historically marginalized groups and socialized them and got them ready for graduate school and let them explore what graduate school uh, you could apply to or whatnot. And that helped me get to USC. Absolutely, hands down. If it wasn't for that program, I would have never have been able to go to um, a college as prestigious as USC. And I even got into uh, UCLA and uh, University of Washington and UC Santa Barbara. Those are other spaces that I got into. And I decided on USC for a lot of different reasons. But um, without that program, I never would have would have been able to do that. And without him telling me 
that the, that the difficulties that I experienced at the undergraduate level would become my strengths at the graduate school level, he honestly didn't understand. I don't, I don't know if he understood how impactful that was. And then I saw him again. This is probably about, I want to say about six years ago now. I saw him out this, at this conference and I, when I saw his name, I knew I had to go to his workshop. I bought his book. You know what I'm saying? Because dude wrote like 10 books or something like that. And so dude is absolutely phenomenal. And um, I wait around in order to talk to him afterwards. There's a ton of people trying to talk to him and everything. And I just felt so unimportant at the time because I knew that there was a lot more important people trying to talk to this man. And um, But he saw me. He saw me in the audience when I was listening to him, so I knew that he at least recognized me, and that, that made me feel good. But then I, 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 I remember I was with one of my friends, um, and I went to talk to him because I just wanted to thank him for saying that to me. And I get my opportunity to talk to him, and I'm not kidding, folks. I started crying uncontrollably. I was so embarrassed at the time. I mean, literally bawling in front of him. And amidst all the the crying, I think I was able to tell him enough for him to figure out why I was crying so much. I just wanted to tell him thank you for recognizing my ability recognizing my potential. And I remember he was feeling awkward also. And I mean, it was a really bad situation, folks. It was an incredibly awkward situation. And and he was just like, you know, um, Yen Espiritu, who he was working with at UCSD at the time, he was like, she's told me that you're working at Maricosta now. And I said, yes, I'm working at Maricosta. And he was like, you completed your PhD. I'm like, yes, I completed my PhD. He was like, um, you're married. Yes. You got kids. You're taking care of your kids. I'm like, yes. He was like, that's all the things I need. And we parted ways. I walked away still crying and yet just so thankful that some little hallway conversation became one of the key moments in my life to help me become Dr. Bruce Hoskins. I hope that means something to you folks. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it, all of them, not just the ones that are good already.